Hey guys, welcome back to Crime Scene Queens. I'm Shelly, your legal beagle and your resident court rat. And naturally that makes me Laura and I am your real life CSI and field mouse. Today we're gonna do a deep dive into the real deal of what crime scene investigation's all about. And we're gonna get into the nitty gritty of autopsies. Yes. Let's go ahead and get into the legal definition of an autopsy because it's a post-mortem examination. Mm-hmm to discover the cause of death or the extent of the, of the disease that caused the death. So if we were to do a post-mortem examination on someone that's still alive, doesn't make sense, right? That's right. Uh, yeah, I think that sometimes uh, people get a little bit confused with the different medical ways we can um, analyze trauma or injury to somebody or different illnesses or pathological conditions, poisoning. These are post-mortem, post meaning after mortem death, so after death examinations done by a medical doctor, not crime scene investigators. Oh, are we breaking a myth right now? We are breaking a myth. Welcome to our CSI EDU. Uh, Maybe take one. Who knows? More could show up. I have had so many people in my career have the misconception that we carve into bodies. Yeah, like we don't do that. We are not medical doctors. Any examination that we do of remains is going to be on the outside of the body or what's visible externally. Exactly. Yeah. So that myth that crime scene folks actually cut into the bodies. You're right. Pathologists, which are MDs, uh, they're either coroners or medical examiners, depending on where you're at. They're the ones that do the cutting. So for us in you know California, we take photographs, take prints, we do scrapings, and we collect you know further evidence if necessary and asked. Which you know actually, I'm I'm interested to hear. Have you ever? at an autopsy, um, seen some crazy evidence inside of a body. You know, I wouldn't necessarily say that I found something crazy, but I did have a few of those, whoa-oh, moments. For example, um, different denominations within the Jewish community, you know, they don't like things like tattoos or body modification. And to the point where, um, you know, they don't actually like autopsies, but if there is one required by law, they have to preserve every drop of blood and everything that basically that person had. That all gets put back into them. So if the body bleeds or something, all of that needs to be captured and reassigned. And I've actually had autopsies witnessed by rabbis to ensure that proper procedure was being followed. And so I had this very devout Jewish woman pass away And she met the qualifications for an autopsy. So I don't know if you guys have this same list in California, but in Florida, there are types of death where an autopsy is required. Yes. Because like not everybody gets an autopsy. Correct. So she was only in her 30s. And so she met that criteria. And they're opening her up and she's been practicing her faith very devoutly. And they opened her up and she had breast implants. Um, (laughs) Oopsie. (laughs) And that definitely counts as body modification. That was an interesting moment. But to go back to the criteria that I was mentioning in Florida, the types of death that constitute a mandatory autopsy are ones where there was an act of criminal violence. The person died by accident, by suicide, Suddenly, when they are in apparent good health, they are um, not being attended by a practicing physician or something similar. If they died in prison, 
in police custody, in a suspicious or unusual circumstance, by criminal abortion, by poison, by disease constituting a threat to public health, which obviously is, you know, happening with COVID, or by disease, injury, or a toxic agent uh, resulting from employment. So I don't know if I said all of those thoroughly and accurately, but I'm pretty sure I did. (laughs) Um, Does that list look similar for you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, you know, you didn't say the word homicide, but uh, criminal or, you know, violence. Right. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. So, it, the you know, we have the cause versus the manner of death. And, you know, the cause and the manner of death are reported uh, for public health report, you know, public health reporting purposes. So, you know, you, a lot of times people wonder what the difference between cause and manner of death are. And, you know, the manner is the medical condition or the injury, which like you were talking about, you know, if there was mm-hmm. a disease or something like that, that brings the lethal chain of events that results in the death of the person. And then uh, for us, and I believe that it's the same for you guys, there's five different manners. Only five, right. Mm -hmm. So yeah, so there's five manners of death, which are the natural, accidental, suicide, homicide, and undetermined. And so, you know, if someone is elderly and they're in a home and they die of natural causes, not necessarily going to be an autopsy, but, you know, there's foul play involved, which is the fun and exciting stuff that you see on the TV shows. And of course, you're going to have an autopsy done on them. Yeah. And, you know, I have had that happen where I had to go to a nursing home because there was neglect or abuse in some way. So you're not safe just because the person is of a natural death age. If you're messing around, we're still going to like notice that, you know, (laughs) so. Absolutely. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. For manner of death, what I found that people don't realize is something can happen to you like now But if you die from it in like six months, like let's just say you get hit by a car like today and you go to the hospital and maybe you're even able to go home, but eventually those injuries result in your death, that is still a vehicular homicide. Just because you died like time later, that does not exempt that manner of death designation or cause of death designation. It's still going to be, you know, rapid deceleration trauma by vehicle ho- vehicular homicide, right? Exactly. Yeah, because that's the medical condition mm-hmm. or the injury by being hit by the vehicle that begins that lethal chain of events that results in your death and demise. Mm-hmm. So yes, absolutely. Yep. I've even had um, a homicide investigation where somebody got shot in the leg and they recovered from it, but ultimately they passed away from that injury like over a year later. And it was still a homicide. Super crazy. It is. Wow. So little known facts, there you go, is just because you don't die immediately doesn't mean you're like grand, like grandfathered into some other uh, manner of cause of death. (laughs) (laughs) Great words. Great words. Grandfathered in. Talking about the elderly. Great. I thought that'd be a cute double entendre. (laughs) (laughs) So speaking of an autopsy and speaking of, you know, we don't, we don't cut into bodies. That's, you know, safe for the doctors. So there are the... You know, there's there's a lot of steps, but I, I kind of created like an, an eight steps to an autopsy. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, this the external exam of the body. Right. They look, they see kind of what's going on. Then there's the internal exam. And I kind of want to stop on the internal exam because uh, autopsies here in San Diego, I want to know, or in California, I want to know if they're different for you as well. Right. Um, so these, these autopsies, you know, 
on TV, they use the scalpels and then mm-hmm. they use all these really fun medical tools and everything. So we use uh, a lopper, like, you know, the, the garden tool that you can get at Home <laughs> Depot. And the lopper is, you know, like a, a tree trimming tool almost where it's got the long mm-hmm. handles and it gives you some, uh, you know, really good angles and you can cut right through those rib cages. Oh, like a like a hedge trimmer yeah. of sorts? Yeah, pretty yeah. much like a mm-hmm. hedge trimmer. Yeah. Yeah. So we'll use either the hedge trimmer or the shears, which are, you know, shorter with a longer blade, but the lopper has a smaller, usually kind of like a curved blade that you use for like tree branches. Yep. And yeah, with the long handles. Yep. Yeah. So, you know, I don't know if we've already mentioned in this podcast, but you'll probably hear me reference constantly that a lot of forensics is arts and crafts. And to your point, Shelly, um, I have seen like blocks of wood they're like just like a little two by four or four by four, you know, wood thing that they just picked up and that's what the head rests on and or the feet rest on. And it's it's all just things that you would see every day. And it does kind of look like a kitchen. I mean, maybe Dexter's kitchen, but still a kitchen oh, <laughs> or a Home Depot. I have seen also a generous amount of what can appear to be specialty tools. Like they had a little, I don't know the name of it, but it looked like an oversized Phillips head screwdriver with a handle on it, but just like just the screwdriver end. Um, Wait, is Phillips head the plus sign or the minus sign? The plus sign. Okay, then I meant the other one, flathead screwdriver. Flathead screwdriver. See, even CSIs make mistakes with vernacular. Okay, so it looks like a flathead screwdriver tip, but it's like way bigger and it has a handle on it and they use it to like crack the plastron so they can remove that chest plate. But they use the tools that you were talking about also to let go down the sides. So I definitely also see those like everyday materials. (laughs) Yeah, so I'm actually, it's funny because I'm I'm doing a little bit of uh, remodeling and, and adding in my basement. Um, mm-hmm. Yes, a you know crime scene queen who has a basement kind of fun mm. stuff, uh, but yeah. So you know, I mean, I go to Lowe's, I go to Home Depot, and when I do walk down those aisles, I look at some of the things because you're right. There are just two by fours that they set the neck on so that they can mm-hmm. you know keep prop the head up and the feet and that sort of stuff. And yeah, so I think you know, I think that uh, going to Home Depot and Lowe's with us is a little bit different than the regular listener. Yeah, I mean, outside of the other medical equipment, you're just like, yep. We use that. We use that. <laughs> Absolutely. It's kind of crazy. So, um, so yeah. So, anyway, so getting back to our, the, you know, my kind of creation of the eight steps. Uh, so, you know, after the external, then we have the internal, and that's where mm-hmm. you're going to use, you know, your gardening tools or sometimes your specialty tools, and you're going to examine some of, uh, you know, just the body cavity type stuff. And then you're actually mm-hmm. really going to get into it and you're going to view the organs. So, yep. you're going to, you know, open everything up so you can see the organs, and then you're going to remove the organs. And then after you do that, then you're going to uh, take a look at the brain. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. So um, it depends. Sometimes they'll they'll uh, pull them out and they'll weigh them immediately. Sometimes they'll just kind of pull them out and they'll move them off to the side. And then they'll do the brain removal. Mm-hmm. And uh, then you have to weigh – yeah, you have to weigh everything. And uh, brain removal. So crazy story. I was, uh, I was actually involved – um, in an autopsy and, well, being involved, meaning, you know, viewing, collecting right. evidence, that type of stuff. Uh, and they were cutting into this brain. And I saw, uh, as they're cutting into it, the doctor was asking me, he's like, you know, do you see anything odd? And I looked and I said, this is a crazy situation. Like, what's going on here? It was discolored, a little mm-hmm. yellowish. And 
I asked, you know, how did this person die? And they said, well, it was a stroke. And I said, is that where the brain stroked out? And he was like, absolutely. So, cool. you know, it's very educational. Cool. Uh, you know, some of this. So, yeah, some of this stuff can definitely be educational. So, you know, I mean, for us, when they, you know, when we take the organs out and, you know, the, we dissect the brain and that sort of stuff. You know, it's usually we just do it right on the side of the body on yeah. you know, the oversized. Where they yeah. slice it and then they put yeah. it all out. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And actually going back to your thing about the brain, I don't know if you witnessed this, but when they take the brain out, it's always like, like it it makes this popping noise because the head and the skull essentially creates like a bowl and that connective tissue that anchors the brain, it sounds like like you're ripping off Velcro. And then when it finally frees, it's like pop. (laughs) <laughs> yes, absolutely. I think the first, yeah, you totally, you nailed that, you nailed that, that noise. And yeah, it's, it's kind of crazy to hear that because it is, it's almost like a suction. Yep. And then it just like, yeah, I can't even, I can't even create the noise that you did, but you, you nailed it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I have always enjoyed watching autopsies because of exactly what you just said, Shelly. You know, medical examiners and coroners are a unique personality type. And I've found that they largely find us annoying unless we ask them the right kinds of questions. And then all of a sudden, they're like kids in a candy shop. Well, look at this and look at this. And this is how you know that. And so I would even go to autopsies that I wasn't tasked with going to to just ask the medical examiner questions. Like these people, and I don't say this a lot, guys, are smarter than me. And... (laughs) (laughs) I want to learn from people that are smarter than me. And I have in those like quiet moments with like the medical examiner, the lab tech and me or and I learned so much. Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. I mean, and I I feel like, you know, a lot of it takes a special person to uh, to be a pathologist, right? Because, Mm -hmm. you know, you're going to be digging into bodies every single day, cutting into them. There's some crazy Mm -hmm. smells. There's some crazy noises. But it's very interesting and it's educational. And so I think since it takes that special person, Mm -hmm. they're not just going to open up and, you know, hey, you want to learn? Do you want to – let me talk to you about what I'm doing. And so if you don't ask questions, then I think they kind of remain silent. However, you know, we do have some uh, around here and it's funny to listen to them the music they listen to, the Metallica. things that they say. Yeah, Metallica, <laughs> they, opera, they love listening to Metallica during autopsies. It's so crazy. It's yeah, it's so crazy. I mean, yeah, I, I don't, I don't know on the CSI shows exactly how they do their autopsies in complete silence, but that's not that's not and usually. a completely dark room with like one grody overhead light to create some kind of stupid mood that the situation is morbid. Dude, there's a body. We understand it's morbid, and then there's like some stupid like ambient or green blue light just to create like ooh ooh. <laughs> This stuff is lit up like a surgical suite because it literally is. Guys, CSI EDU take two. No matter what BS you see on TV, autopsies are bright and sunny and everybody is not gloomy and sad. We're just doing our jobs in there. (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, kind of touching back on some of the noises, you know, that that you were talking about when, you know, they they take the the brain out, Mm -hmm. you know, there's... I mean, there's, you know, the popping of the cartilage when yes. we break rigor. You know, we got, I mean, that's something that, you know, you have to do. You have to take those prints. And if they are curled up or their hands are in a fist, how are you supposed to print them? So, yes. you know, you got to pop those fingers and break that cartilage. And that's, that's a noise. 
And that cracking of that plastron where they like, I mean, that's, you're not supposed to hear a person's chest make that noise. I mean, granted, you're not supposed to hear the brain pop out of the head either, but like, okay. And like going back to things that are every day that are in autopsy suites, you know how you go to the grocery store and you weigh your fruit? Oh, yes. That's the how they scale. weigh the organs. Yes. they. Weigh, you guys, if you go to the grocery store, next time you look at like one of those hanging scales, that's what they put your organs in and they weigh them by grams and milligrams. So next time, just picture like a big fatty liver or like a juicy heart in there or maybe some intestines. Oh, yeah. <laughs> okay. So, so speaking of liver, this was absolutely crazy. So one of my first autopsies that I viewed, the doctor was asking – if I had ever held a liver and if oh. I had ever touched a liver and I, you know, of course, I mean, from, you know, small animals when I was in high school and college mm-hmm. and he asked me to, to feel the difference in, in there's two livers that I felt and one of them was extremely hard and tough and I couldn't like mm-hmm. squeeze it. And the other one, my fingers just completely just touched each other because I squeezed it and it was, it was like nothing. And so, uh, you know, I think we should warn our listeners that whenever you drink uh, cirrhosis of the liver, it creates it this uh, really hard liver. So it's 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 pretty bad. Um, but it, I mean, it's definitely interesting. But yeah, you uh, you know you can't hide your drinking alcoholics out there. <laughs> I mean, your your the air outside might be able to put concealer on those dark circles and maybe eat a veggie smoothie every once in a while, but your liver remembers. Your liver definitely remembers, definitely. And there, yeah, there's so, you know, that's, those are some crazy sounds and then, you know, feels and stuff. But, you know, we, we always, we can't avoid the, the smell of an autopsy. Speaking of, because we have recently done an episode on adipus here that included some conversation about decomposition. If you guys haven't listened to that, make sure you go back and do. Bodies still get autopsied, guys. And sure do. I don't know how else to say this. It's fucking gross. <laughs> it's yeah. fucking gross. And even though you might have spent like all day or like several hours on scene with these bodies, the autopsy is like completely different because what you're smelling when you get on scene is the process of the self-digestion that's going on on the inside. So when the medical examiner then cuts into that, I mean, good morning. (laughs) (laughs) And one would argue that there's not a whole lot that you can learn from that. But as you know, Shelly, you know, she was referencing taking sections of each individual organ. Well, you know, the medical examiner will take tissue samples from everything and send it for toxicology in like these little vials. And they'll take samples from stomach contents and urine and all of that. So we can still learn shit. If you kill somebody and we find them a few months later, do not underestimate us. Oh, yeah. And we do. Yeah, we draw blood. We draw blood from, you know, eyes, autopsies, uh, you know, from central lines from because your body digests and processes chemicals differently in every organ. And so, you know, some process faster than others. So, you know, getting blood from the eye is something that is a long lingering effect. Yeah, yeah. So we'll be able to tell. Yep. Ocular fluid. So I feel like we should talk about degloving in a whole other episode. But for the sake of this one, degloving are 
beautiful and lovely audience is when the body has reached a state of decomposition to where you can no longer roll the deceased person's fingerprints. So you basically have to peel the skin off their hand, rehydrate it, and then wear the hand skin yourself and roll the prints. So if when we have a fingerprint episode, I know it's... I mean, it stopped being gross after the first few times, but when I say that out loud to other people, I realize how cringe that sounds. But I'm sorry, if you die, would you not like to be identified? I mean, come on. It puts the lotion on its face. It puts the lotion on its skin and then it rehydrates and rolls the fingerprints again. Why Absolutely. do people Shelly, why are people letting us talk? <laughs> I don't I don't I don't even know. And I mean I haven't even gotten into the smell of cutting open intestines and the stomach yeah. and mm-hmm. smelling rubbing alcohol. Yes. Oh my God. Okay. So my friend is a death investigator, and I remember one time we were doing um we were in an autopsy suite together, and the smell was particularly bad. And then she said do you want to know what's worse than when it's bad? And I was like, what's worse? She goes, when it creepily smells good. She said, I was at an autopsy one time and the body smelled just like Nestle Toll House chocolate chip cookies and it haunted (laughs) me and haunted me. So that bitch said that to me. And fast forward, like however long it was later, and I was in an autopsy and I was like, that whore, if she hadn't said that to me, I would not be smelling cookies right now. It is so weird because your eyes and your brain are not agreeing with each other. I'm um, I'm sorry, yeah. not yeah, your your nose and your eyes are like your brain is like, wait a minute, one thing is not like the other, and this is not how it's supposed to be, but it's creepy. <laughs> That's insane. I've I've smelt pineapple and I've smelt uh you know, besides the obvious, I've also smelled the alcohol and yes. it's pretty crazy. But pineapple is a um that was a that was a unique smell. I don't think that was pineapple in the system. I think it was just a smell. Yeah. So or pizza body chemicals do pizza things. in stomach contents is like that marinara sauce has you wouldn't think, but it's it very shows. acidic, yeah. 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 I also have a crazy story. So there was a medical examiner and he was he was the toughest of the tough guys. Mm-hmm. And I absolutely adored this guy. So we're at an autopsy and medical examiners, they have to write stuff down, right? So when they mm-hmm. weigh the every, you know, the organs in the brain, they have to write it down on something. So they always have a pen on them. And, you know, they're not always those pocket protector geeks that, you know, mm-hmm. put them in their shirts or mm-hmm. their lab coats or whatever, because if you've got Tyvax on, then you don't have a pocket protector to put your pen in. So they usually just stick it behind their ear. Well, you know, Ew. they're, yeah, I think you kind of know where this is going. But, you know, I mean, <laughs> and, you know, they're not always the tallest people. So they have to like stand up on, you know, little like step stools, ladders, whatever, so they can like get inside the, the body because, you know, the mm-hmm. beds only, they mm-hmm. only go so far down. So, you know, he's like up there and he has to look inside the body and then all of a sudden there went the pen and it falls inside the body cavity and it's all in there and getting all gooped up and fun. And then, you know, he grabs it out and he's like, ah, and he just shakes it once, like with a flick of the wrist, sticks it back in his ear. And then inevitably, since he is an older guy, the next time he goes to use it, he licks the pen and then starts writing with it. 
That's just dis- oh, yeah. even for me. That's disgusting. I mean, oh, listen, yeah. we all get a little hardcore after a while and do things like. And by the way, guys, touching dead bodies without gloves highly not recommended, especially not the insides of them. So. I have not an autopsy story, but a time that I did something as equally disgusting. In a previous episode, we were discussing macerating bones, which is removing the soft tissue off of a person's uh, remains just to get down to their skeletal material to make an analysis. And I was holding an ulna. So if you don't know what that is, the ulna is your pinky side forearm bone. So... Um, if you hold your hand out, it's the forearm bone on the bottom. Um, that yeah, if you're like your shaking pinky. someone's mm-hmm. hand, it's mm-hmm. it's the one on the bottom towards the right. ground, not not the one on the top with your thumb. Yeah, that's so the- yeah. So I was picking flesh off this ulna, which with a pair of hemostats, which are like a pair of medical scissors for gripping, and um, I was holding one end of the bone, and then I had an itch on my face, so I put my elbow up to kind of wipe my face with. My your forearm, yeah, my forearm, and yeah. the bone is long. So when I did that, I put this grody end of this bone covered in flesh into my eye. Oh my lord, you got pink eye. I did not get <laughs> pink eye, but I had a. F- you know when something so gross happens, you just freeze. Obviously, I put the bone down. I sat. I grabbed a wipe. And everybody that was macerating with me saw and their jaws were down. And so I looked at them and I said, that was gross. (laughs) That's all you said? (laughs) Because you can't say anything else. There's nothing else to do besides clean it and say, that was gross. My bad. Yeah. And they were like. I wish we could drink over lunch, but we <laughs> we wish we could buy you a shot, but we can't. Um, and watch speaking, out for that cirrhosis. Yes. And speaking of losing things and bodies, my mentor lost her center diamond on her wedding ring in a body. It fell out into the body. Wow. Yeah. I lost mine on the side of a, like banging on the glass at the hockey game. But, you know, that doesn't matter. I mean, if you found it, you probably would feel a little bit better about it in that situation, though. Yeah, that's – wow. <laughs> so did did they ever find it? What happened with that? Um, I don't think she realized it happened um, until it was, like, too late. And then her husband would, like, come in and out of events with us. You know, if we would do, like, a dinner or something for, like, team building – and one time we went to watch uh, the college football game at Miller's Ale House or a bar. And I said to him, oh, you know, are you going to get Heather a new ring? And he goes, if I buy Heather a new ring for every time she loses a diamond in somebody, we're going to be living out of a tent. <laughs> <laughs> and it was so funny. And I'm like, has she done this before? And he's like, no. <laughs> well, <laughs> I think he was Chill, just bro. mad it happened. Uh, yeah, chill, bro. I mean, that's a cool story. That's definitely a cool story, right? Yes. Um, which, you know, I mean, that kind of leads us to more steps on the autopsy, which, yes. you know, then they return the organs to the body. So if there's a diamond right. in there, uh, you know, bonus. that's yeah. yeah, total bonus. Um, and then after that, they sew the body back up. After they sew the body up, I, you know, we're pretty much finished. If we've done everything that we need to do, we've photographed everything. Yeah. Uh, you know, I mean, there's obviously there's more details to the steps and such, but you know, I mean, that's uh, that's pretty much the eight different steps of mm-hmm. an autopsy. 
And, uh, you know, going back to another crazy story, women and their mm. ovaries, mm. you know, that's that's always a fun thing. So mm-hmm. one, there, there was there was there was this time that there was an autopsy that happened on a female and, you know, the doctor cut in Uh-oh. to the female and there might have been a couple people standing around that weren't forensic people. They were just viewing the autopsy for educational purposes and, you know, an ovary might have shot them in the face when the doctor opened it up. Well, that's just a quick way of getting an omelet to go, I guess. Because <laughs> 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 I mean... little protein. Oh, my gosh. Sadly enough, because I'm a big advocate for learning, you can no longer witness an autopsy for learning unless there's like special consideration from like a medical school. Um, When I was in college, we were allowed to witness autopsies with our forensics major all the time. But now, because of a different series of events that have happened, they don't even really take interns at the medical examiner's offices down here anymore. Do they um, still have that program by here? Yeah. Yeah. They, we yep. used to, we used to be able to just, you know, you you could sign up and mm-hmm. go to an autopsy and view it. But I think uh, you know, privacy rights and such, they've they've they're not as lenient anymore. Yes. Um, and do you happen to know why in Florida that's the case? Um, I do know that it was kind of a snowball effect, right? So when Dale Earnhardt died in our state in about two thousand and one. There was a leak for some of his autopsy photos and a bunch of other evidence, you know, kind of in a really dark manner, the same way you saw with what happened with Kobe Bryant. And as a result of that, we now have something that we casually refer to as the Dale Earnhardt Law. I think that it's officially called um, the Earnhardt Family Protection Act, but essentially What that means is that photos, videos, or any audio that's taken during an autopsy is completely confidential, where in the past they might have been accessible by public records request. But of course, in the judicial setting, you know, they're available for trial for the defense or the prosecution, but those are no longer releasable because people were being like icky about that and and upsetting victims' families and this is and that. And then... I don't know the full story about what happened here, but just as with everything, one person does one thing, and this is why we can't have nice things. So while I was super lucky to attend a lot of autopsies for my own learning and get a lot of unique experience, now, like, there's no internships, there's no, like we were saying, like, viewing the way there was before outside of law enforcement, and they still don't really even like us to do that anymore. We used to go in and I would take my own series of autopsy photographs to have for our reference for the investigation, but now they don't allow you to do that at all anymore. They have a designated um, forensic photographer at the medical examiner's office that will issue us a copy, but we may not take our own even from a crime scene capacity. That's super crazy. Mm -hmm. I I just, yeah, the times are changing and, you know, I mean, that, to me, it can potentially create a bias. So I don't I don't know about all that. That's going to create some other law that may, you know, who knows, you may revert back. Yeah, I have noticed that they have only gotten stricter about that shell. So 
as you know, the medical examiner is pretty much the owner of that body and of that entire system because he's designated by the governor. A couple of years ago, a police officer was killed and um, the sheriff tried to view the autopsy and our chief medical examiner had to get in a huge political battle to basically say the rules apply to everybody, including you. And that created a huge brouhaha. So they are somehow regulating that within the confines of their power. And at the end of the day, you know, my job is to work with these people. So I just found like ways to charm them and like not break the rules, but kind of get what I need one way or the other. You know, we're crime scene investigators. We're very resourceful people. If you can't have it this way, have it another. So what I did is when I was attending the autopsy, which I was still allowed to do, I would ask the forensic photographer for specific things that I wanted and then ask to review the picture to see if it was what I needed. Yeah. Yeah. That way you Mm -hmm. can get everything that you need for, yeah, for your Right. Purposes. Yeah, exactly. You know, a lot of things with scale, a lot of things where I wanted like an individual photograph of this or that. Um, and when you say things with scale, you're talking right. about like the ruler scales, that sort of thing. Right. A, a unit, a, a reference for measurement in the picture, usually a ruler. Um, we have two different kind that we typically use in three, actually, that we typically use in forensics, a six inch straight flat roller an L-shaped ruler that um, was developed by the American Board of Forensic Odontology. And then we also have like a larger L-scale that has one arm longer than the other that we typically use for shoe impressions and like uh, other oblong-shaped items. Yeah, we get those at Home Depot and Lowe's. Yeah, you could. You could. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Here we are back on that whole Home Depot and Lowe's trip that we definitely should go on one day. Yes, Mm -hmm. absolutely. Yeah. For sure. Um, Yeah. So I think it's, you know, I think the, your Dale Earnhardt law is, you know, it's pretty crazy. And I, you know, I can respect that. I mean, I, you know, while autopsies are, you know, can be can be seen as gross or whatever. They're educational, mm-hmm. but you know, we do have to respect the privacy and you know of of the deceased and their families. So, you know, I think mm-hmm. that's probably a good idea. So, I, I you know, I wanted to hit on one other like really crazy thing that when I was uh, first at the medical examiner's office and talking to the the head chief medical examiner, he was telling me that you know we're so close to SeaWorld, and he mm-hmm. said that. Back in the day, the medical examiners, they actually used to take turns and do rotations. So they would do the autopsies of humans, but then they would also do the autopsies of all the the animals at SeaWorld. Which, by the way, guys, um, uh, the autopsy of an animal is called a necropsy. Yes. Yes. Thank you. So, yeah. So they would they would switch back and forth between the two. And he said it was very educational, especially because... Mm -hmm when they were in school, they never did the large animals, you know, they didn't do Mm -hmm. the whales or, you know, the dolphins or sharks or anything like that. And so he said that it was it was really good for the newcomers to come on and to do the the animals before they actually did humans so that they could kind of just get to know body parts and such. And I I really didn't understand that concept a whole lot, because, you know, I don't think that my body's like a fish, but Uh I could be wrong. (laughs) Well, you know, I think it's also like the touch, so to say, like, teaching them how to cut a certain depth or with a certain, like, 
having an easy hand about it or a heavier hand here or feeling those textures. I'm sure. Yeah. The techniques. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's like best practices that you can only learn through doing. I would imagine they're fine tuning in some way through that method. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. So, um, yeah. And then our medical examiner also does the autopsies of all of our canine deputies. Right. So, mm-hmm. which, you know, is definitely difficult, I think, for them, uh, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, because it's an animal. So, yeah, it's 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 pretty interesting, all the different things that uh, the doctors do and, you know, the pathologists, they have kind of a really crazy and unique job and it does take a special person to be a pathologist. It does. And if any of our listeners are CSIs or it's your aspiration to become one, you do need to make sure that you are becoming best friends with your death investigators who work for the medical examiner's office with those lab techs and with your medical examiner. Like if they're, I'm not a person that is a proponent or not a proponent, like a advocate for rolling over. But let me tell you, if your medical examiner does not like you, you will be sorry. So you need to learn to roll with their quirks. You need to learn to speak to them in a language that most resonates. You know, we had a chief medical examiner for a while that came from the military and he was brilliant, but you literally had to earn his respect. And I am happy to say that I eventually did that in a way that made him comfortable enough to allow me in certain levels of privacy. But that did not happen overnight. Like, you really do need to be soliciting these people for learning, and they do appreciate that. And if you have a bad time with a death investigator, that can also be really shitty for you because I don't know how it is in California, but every time we have a death that met the criteria that I listed earlier in the episode – They have the choice whether or not to respond, and then the doctor has the choice whether or not to respond. And depending on the nature of the death, you might want them there, or you might not want them there because it takes a significant period of time for them to arrive and respond and then do what they need to do. So you could take a two-hour call-out, and it can all of a sudden become a five-hour call-out just for sheer weight. And also the body snatchers have to come. Okay, sorry. The body snatchers. Pardon me, guys. Okay. (laughs) The body snatchers is a quirky name that we give the people that respond and collect the human remains. Another. Hold on. Hold on a second. Hold on. Mm -hmm. So there's there's a few more topics that we definitely need to get into before Mm -hmm. we talk about the body snatchers. Because I want to talk about ownership of bodies. I want to talk about the body snatchers. I want to talk about all this stuff. Oh, my God, please. So, Laura, sorry, I, before I interrupted you, you were talking about a couple of things and then I wanted to uh, hit on the body ownership or the custody of a right. body. So please feel free to continue. Well, I was just saying that I think that I've also had the myth brought to me that people thought that I had a human body in my crime scene van. And um, <laughs> no, we do collect evidence and transport it around, but no human or biological material. There is actually a third party Um, vendor that will come and they specialize in the transportation of human remains. And they will actually be the person that responds to the scene and brings them to the medical examiner's office. So it's not even the medical examiner themselves that comes to pick the body up. So it's usually a huge waiting game because you have to wait for the doctor and or the death investigator and or the body snatchers. So the process can be quite tedious. 
Yeah. So let me let me dissect that in, mm-hmm. in my perspective a little bit. So when there's crime scene and there's a death on scene and it's called, then, yeah, we call the medical examiner's office and, you know, medical examiner, investigator, medical examiner, they arrive on scene. And once there's a death, that body now belongs to the medical examiner's office. It does not belong to anyone else but the medical examiner's office. So they have ownership and they have full custody of that body. So uh, you actually have to ask permission to even touch the body or to get any evidence off the body. Otherwise, you can photograph it, but you can't touch it. You can't roll it. You can't do anything unless it's, of course, obviously, you know, a safety issue. But yeah, and, you know, there's another kind of sidetracking story on that. So, mm. you know, because the body is uh, the custody of the medical examiner, Sometimes it gets hot and sometimes the sun is beating down on a body that, you know, might have just been pronounced dead, mm-hmm. you know, a few hours before. Well, if the sun is beating down on that body, that body can still get sunburns mm-hmm. and the skin kind of sloughs off and it separates and it, it definitely you can tell that it's sunburnt and where normal skin is hydrated and it has, you know, the body is uh, keeping the, the skin alive because the skin is an organ, right? It's the largest mm-hmm. organ of your body. So when you die, none of those actions are happening. And so when your skin gets sunburnt, it just kind of shrivels up. Just like if you're cooking something in an oven and you're overcooking it and it shrivels <laughs> up, right? Like the so, Christmas uh, vacation turkey. <laughs> oh, yes. Just like that. <laughs> Actually, yes. <laughs> so, yeah. So pretty interesting stuff. But, you know, then you also made mention that and it's the same for us, you know, the, the medical examiner, they don't they don't want to take that body. They don't want to waste not waste their time, but they have other things that they have to get to. So instead, you're right. They call the body snatchers, the body snatchers, which is formally body removal services. <laughs> Yes, yes. Body removal services and they take the bodies, they put them, they load them up and they do some crazy stuff. Uh, You know, sometimes if the body's in full rigor and they are in a funky position, those body snatchers got to get that body out. Like, you know, if they're behind the wheel of a car, for instance. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. Snap, snap, crackle and pop. Snap, crackle and pop all that cartilage. Absolutely. And, you know, so it takes a special person to be a body snatcher as well. And then, yeah, they just transport them to the medical examiner's office and then, you know, they put them in the in the fridge and wait for the autopsy. And to that point, very, very obese people always die upstairs. <laughs> Did you notice that? Yes. Yes. And the sleds that they use to get them mm-hmm. downstairs. Yes. Yep. You have to be strong to be a body snatcher. Yes. Uh, yeah, there was. Yeah, there was a, a, a heavier set person that that unfortunately passed in on an upstairs and they attempted to bring this body downstairs but Mm. they couldn't because first they were really heavy and second because they just all couldn't fit because they needed so many people to bring this body downstairs so they have this slide that they use that's like an emergency evacuation slide and they put the body on that and then they can carry it out and I guess it's kind of like a tarp but yeah I've seen that too it kind of yeah it reminds me of like, like a, a slip and slide yes like a slip and slide and then use yes I have also seen that but um you know it's just gets more and more interesting the different ways that people bite it 
and they aren't considered enough to die in a way that makes it easy for us. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. No, you know what? You're absolutely right. Or even fun or, you know, just yeah. interesting. Just interesting. Yeah. But, yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Do you have anything else, Laura, that, I mean, you know, we have so many stories, but does anything off the top of your head? You know, I feel like the thing about autopsies is it's this very intimidating thing until it's not. It is odd to walk into a room and there's a bunch of people laying there without brains in their heads or their full chest cavity is open and their organs are N block removed and placed to the side. And in case any of you don't know what N block means, um, your organs are actually kind of in, for lack of a better way to describe it, like a big balloon. And they can actually just be scooped out altogether and like placed to the side. So um, it is like not a normal situation to be sitting around and talking about lunch while that's happening. But we all get that's not normal. Not today. I mean, maybe eventually in the future. More and more things are becoming normal, Shelley. So who knows where it could be in a few years? (laughs) True. I mean, you know, it's that to me is normal. It's also normal. You know, you take kind of that that smell and sometimes sometimes the smells of an autopsy are so pungent. And it just mm-hmm. feels almost moist because that's that's Stop that's a favorite moist. word of some people. Stop yeah. saying moist. So <laughs> you can kind of just take that humidity in the air of the autopsy scent and just, you know, lather it on yourself and go on your little hot date. Hey, listen, I can't tell you how many times I have gotten home and then been like, OK, I've clearly been nose blind all of these clothes, I'm not even going past my laundry room, entering through the garage, leaving shoes in the garage, dumping not just laundry detergent, but OxyClean, and if any of you are nerds, essential oils as well, and praying for the best. (laughs) Please don't make me have to replace these pants again. (laughs) What's What fells naphtha? That's some good stuff for getting rid of scent. Oh, all right. That's a good one. I know people say vinegar, but I don't agree. I mean, I don't want to smell I don't think it does a good enough job. Yeah, but they say that they use it to like extract the odor out of the clothes. I don't think it does a good enough job because I think it then now smells like decomp and vinegar. Yeah, Um, like urine. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Ew. Yes, I have memories, clearly. Yeah. Uh, Oh, God. But yeah, obviously. I mean, honestly, I don't think yeah, I have anything else. It, it works, else. but it smells like pickles, maybe. I don't know. Oh. Some people might think that. You know, if, if it smelled like pickles, I'd probably be happier. I love pickles. <laughs> I actually do love pickles. So, yeah, on that note, I think I'm going to go eat a few pickles. What do you think? I think that I'll maybe go. Uh, and by the way, the dill spears, all the other pickles are garbage because I like the crunch. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, listen. <laughs> We are ready for you guys to now go tell all of your friends about your girls over here, telling really messed up, fucked up stories, but also teaching you something while we do it. So if you have friends that love true crime and they want to learn the facts from the experts, get some real-time stories, tell them about the show, please review us, hit that five-star review button. Yeah, definitely rate us with five stars. Yes. But until then... If you're going to die, make sure you do your local CSI a favor and die in an interesting way. So, absolutely. See you next time. <laughs> Bye. Till next time. Crime Scene Queens is a Q Code Media production. Executive produced by David Henning and Steve Wilson. Produced by Ryan Countshouse. Edited by Nate Fort. 
and theme song and music by Darren Johnson. 